Amen. Well, thank you, uh, worship team. Really do appreciate that. I do also want to give a shout out to the, uh, well, anyone who's volunteering, I guess. But the, um, you know, I, I, when you come in on a Sunday, I mean, when you're volunteering, you know, the sound still has to be here, uh, even if you don't, you know, if you're tired and you don't want to be here, someone's got to show up, and obviously the band and uh, hospitality teams, you know, whether there's 400 people here or five people here, they still are doing the same exact amount of work. And so I appreciate uh, them and their hard work as well. So anyways, welcome. Welcome to uh, Hope Lower Town. Glad you're able to be here uh, today. And we're just going to continue with with this. And so uh, those of you who um, probably were wise and uh, didn't brave the storm and are listening online, uh, welcome. Um, and uh, so anyways, this is going to be uh, part two of, uh, of three weeks of the series of Love, Love Thy Neighbor. Ben, actually, would you mind turning the TV on the back there for me, or no, no one's got it. Um, so this is going to be, uh, yeah, week two of, of the series of Love love Thy Neighbor, How to Love People in Turbulent Times. And uh, and so again, just kind of looking at this, and, and as far as the election, and, and uh, obviously with the impending, not impending, I guess the uh, uh, impeachment process, and just right now our, our country just seems very divided. And uh, it doesn't seem, it, it just, it is. And so there, there's just two different parties. Uh, someone maybe say, try to say three or whatever. There's just, there's a lot going on right now. And it is turbulent. And it's not just because of politics. There's a lot of other things uh, because of this. And so I, I'm trying to maybe broaden the, the perspective of even last week, looking at the Good Samaritan and who my neighbor is. It, it, this includes politics and political people who would be maybe think differently than I do. Um, but at the same time, this, this is also where we're going to be at today and, and, and next week at, as well. And so this is going to be Love Thy Neighbor and specifically uh, honing in on hospitality. And we're actually going to be looking at a couple different parables that Jesus tells again. It just kind of worked out that way. And so this is really kind of five weeks now that we've been in, in the parables of Jesus. And so it's been kind of fun for me to, to do this. It's going to be Luke chapter 14, uh, 1 through 14. And so just going to be, uh, just going to walk through this passage and uh, make some comments along the way. So this is Jesus and the Sabbath. And um, so it just says one one Sabbath, starting in verse one, and 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 what is a Sabbath? And if you remember when we went when we were in Exodus, uh, we were in there for I think it was forty five weeks uh, or plus, maybe fifty ish some weeks, and we were in Exodus, and and we spent a lot of time talking about what is the Sabbath, what does it mean, and and, and in Hebrew maybe the transliteration of it is is simply uh, stoppage. It just means to stop. It means that and so when God was creating the world, it says that He created the world in six days and then He rested on the seventh day, and so He is created human beings to not just continually work and work and work and work and that we need to have sabbath we need to we need to stop and so um this would be on uh, in the jewish calendar it would be friday at sundown until saturday uh, evening as well that 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 time period so mainly it was on saturday when they would observe the sabbath um so it says one sabbath when jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee. We're not given his name, uh, but again, Pharisees, just the very religious uh, leaders of, their, of the Jewish community in that, in that day, uh, that he was being carefully watched. Then in front of him, a man was suffering from an abnormal swelling of the body, and we're not told what that is exactly, but some kind of swelling of his body, some kind of disease. In verse 3, Jesus asked the Pharisees and the experts in the law is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. And this isn't going to be the first time that Jesus 
heals on the Sabbath? And there's a reason why that he asked that question. Is it lawful? And we'll, we'll get there eventually. But am, am I allowed to heal people on the Sabbath? Is that, is that against your laws? But this isn't the first time. And so we can go back to Jesus' healing on the Sabbath. We can look at in, in, the, same, in the same book of Luke in chapter 438 that uh, Jesus heals Simon's mother-in-law. Uh, he heals a man with a, a withered hand in chapter 6. He uh, heals the woman who was sick for, for 18 years in uh, chapter 13, verse 13. So this is the fourth time in this book uh, where we see Jesus healing on the Sabbath. So the Pharisees were not, um, uh, they'd, they'd seen Jesus do this before. Um, and then in John, we have uh, a paralytic at the pool of Bethesda who's healed. And also in John, a man who was born blind who is healed. And then healing a demon-possessed man in the synagogue in Mark chapter 1, uh, 21. So we have all these things. And, and you'd think, man, Jesus is, is healing all these people. And not just on Sabbaths, not just on, on Saturday afternoon. He's, he's doing this all throughout his ministry. But for some reason, every time he heals on the Sabbath day, the religious leaders lose their minds. And they get really upset about Jesus healing people on the Sabbath. And they accuse him of breaking the law. And so you'd think people would love him, but they don't. And so the Pharisees have these extra biblical laws and the books that the, that the laws are written down and were called the Mishnah and the Talmud. I know I've mentioned them before. But, but in other words, they had all these laws in the Old Testament that had actual rules that God gave them about how to observe, observe the Sabbath day and to keep it holy. And so what the, what the Jewish leaders did is they wrote these other books called the Mishnah and the Talmud. And they said, so within the Mishnah, we're going to make more rules to help us from keeping, uh, from keeping us from breaking God's rules on the Sabbath, and then we're going to have this Talmud, and, and that's going to be even more rules that will help us not break the rules in the Mishnah that will not make us break the rules in the Talmud. So they had all these extra rules that are building on top of one another, and, uh, and, and so anyways, that, that's kind of what's going on. And so for example, uh, cooking according to the Mishnah and Talmud, was, was work. And there are some laws about that in the Old Testament, but it's simply uh, that you're not supposed to actually uh, cook something, like heat something up. It needs to be prepared on Friday. Well, the Mishnah and the Talmud just take it to the next level. So there's very vague rules in the Old Testament, and then the Mishnah then, then says this. It says, food that needs to be kept warm for the Sabbath must not be put into oil, dregs, manure, salt, chalk, or sand, whether moist or dry, nor into straw, grapeskins, flock, or vegetables. If these are damp, though, it may be uh, that they are dry. Uh, it may be, however, put into clothes uh, amid fruits, pigeons, feathers, and flax toe. Right? I don't know. I don't know any. I have no idea what that's talking about. But I, what it's saying is that there's all these extra rules that are just being put on top. None of that is in the Old Testament as far as how to observe the Sabbath, and and they just add all these different things. And so it's no wonder that Jesus was tired of all their religiosity. And so when he's finally put in front and he's able to do something that actually breaks their man-made rules and their laws, he doesn't care. And he does it to try to prove a point that this is not what God wants of us. Like you're just making this up. You're, these are man-made rules about how to look and how to act and how to talk as a, as a follower of Yahweh. And, and he says that's not how it is. It's not how God revealed himself in Scripture. And, and so they, they look down on him for not obeying those kinds of rules. And there's other examples of that, of him not washing his hands before, uh, and again, ceremonial clean, cleaning, washing hands before he eats his meal. And there's all these different things that he will do, that he'll eat grain on the Sabbath, and, and even though he's going by a field, he'll pluck the grain. That's considered harvesting. That's work. And so um, he does all these things purposefully 
to show them this is not this is not what this is. So they're going to go. We're going to kind of go back at that same passage I just read, and it says that they they watched him. And this is not like, hey, we're just we're just observing him, see if anything. This is like with sinister intention. They're they're watching him. They're they're waiting for him to slip up so that they can they can attack him. They can accuse him of doing wrong. They can they can finally overthrow Jesus, who's causing so many issues for the Pharisees. So it says this, one Sabbath when Jesus went to the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched, right? They're, they're just, they want to see him mess up. And it says there in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. And every commentary I read actually said that, that most likely this individual was actually brought to the temple and put, in, or sorry, brought to this man's house and, and put in front of Jesus on purpose, they're testing him. What's he going to do? Man, he's healed before on the Sabbath. He's broken the laws. We're actually going to put someone who's suffering in front of him. Let's just see if Jesus can't help himself. Like, he's just going to heal him because that's all he knows he can do. That's all he does, right? And they're, they're testing him. They're trying to trick him. They're trying to get him to break the law of, of working on the Sabbath day. And yet, what's really interesting is Jesus' response and that there's absolutely no hesitation Right, so then he says this, Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts of the law, right, you, you know your law so well, even your man-made rules. Is it lawful? Is it lawful for me to heal on the Sabbath or not? Right, but they remain silent. Right, they're, they're just, they're, they're not gonna, I'm not going to answer that. I'm going to let you figure this out. I, I wanted to see if you go through with healing this guy, and he does. So taking hold of him, taking hold of the man, he heals him, and he sends him on his way. And so right here in this moment, we see Jesus have this heart that says, I have priority for people. That the people in this world is what matters to me most, more than anything else. So he says, then they asked him, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say, right? So now their attitude changes. That it used to be they remained silent, like we're still trying to trick you, but now they got no answers. Because now Jesus is using the law and not the Mishnah and the Talmud. He's using God's law, which is specifically here. And Jesus flips the narrative on its head like he always does. And he, in a sense, quotes Exodus 21, which are real laws about the Sabbath. If anyone uncovers a pit or digs one and falls, uh, to, fails to cover it on a, and an ox or a donkey falls into it, the one who opened the pit must pay the owner for the loss and take the dead animal in exchange. There's, there's, there's a lot of laws about open wells in the Old Testament, uh, just in that, in that culture over in Canaan, that they have wells everywhere. And so if it wasn't covered properly or managed properly and some animal or some person fell, there's all these rules. And even on a Sabbath, that if something happens, you actually have to work to get this animal out or this child out of this well. But there's a priority for the people. I remember um, this was a long time ago. Uh, I heard a sermon by uh, Joel Stoll. He actually used to be the president of Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, but he was a pastor of a church that I attended in Chicago. And I remember he shared this story, and, it, and it's just always stuck. And I, and I think about it actually quite a lot. And, and I know that and maybe someday I'll say something profound and you'll go, oh man I, man, I had this pastor one time and he said this thing and it wasn't just some mistake that he said while he was talking or some silly story. It was like, it was actually kind of meaningful, you know? Um, that's, how, that's how I think of this guy, Joel Stoll. He told the story of this. He, he said that he went over to somebody's house and it was a very nice house. They were very wealthy. And he, um, they, were, they were actually talking about this um, 
present that they had received from some, some ambassador or something, but it was these alabaster uh, you know, stone, but it, it was carved and, and, and polished into fruit, if that makes sense. So it was these, and I don't know, it looked like a fruit basket, but made of alabaster. That's all I remember of the story, okay? Don't ask me questions. Anyways, I guess as, so he's holding it, he's observing it, he's looking at it, and they're, they're, they're talking about how great this, this thing is, and he drops it, and it shatters. It, he breaks this thing that they were just saying, we love this thing, right? As you can only imagine, and the, you know, just how that would make you feel. And, I, and of course, he just feels terrible. And he's just apologizing, trying to compensate him. What can I do? And, and the line that this, this couple gave to Joe has always stuck in my head. It was, Joe, it's okay. We care about people, not things. Right? Like that, just that attitude to be able to say, I, I want to prioritize you. And right now you feel like garbage. Right? And I want you to know, really, it's just a thing. It, it, it doesn't matter. I, I want to make you, Joe, know that this, you are what is important. We care about people. We care more about people than, than things. And so because of just right here in this passage, I just want to make a few observations about Jesus and his attitude towards people. One of them is this, that even when under scrutiny and condemnation of others, he still does what is right. And so we could maybe take that phrase and instead of saying that we care more or Jesus cares more about people than things, that we could also say that Jesus cares more about people than people's opinions of him, which is difficult to do. That I, I sometimes, I don't want to do what's right. I don't want to say what I should say at a certain moment because I don't want to offend. I don't want to hurt their feelings. I don't want to break a friendship or whatever it may be. And what we see from this passage is that that's not how Jesus responds, that he actually responds out of a heart of hospitality and generosity, and he cares about the person who he heals, who is suffering, more so than he does about the religious leaders of his day. And he cares more about people than people's opinions of him. And then secondly, he never refuses anyone's hospitality. This is something that just kind of popped in my mind. That it didn't matter who invites him over to his house. It doesn't matter if it's a, it's a sinner, a non-practicing Jew, or somebody who's known by their sin, or a tax collector who is literally a traitor in their day. If they invited him over, he went to their house. And he ate with them. He sat down with them. And, and again, in our culture, eating is, is still kind of intimate. It's, it's still a, a big deal. But in that culture, they, 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 they would lie down, and they'd recline on top of each other. and they'd, It was a very intimate thing as they would eat a meal together. And he, didn't, he would do that with people that the religious people would say, how dare you eat with those people? If you had any idea what kind of a person this was. And then on the other side of it, though, he never refuses hospitality of the religious leaders, of Pharisees that invite him over. Hey, I want you to come over to my house. I want you to eat with me. He actually always goes. And I think there's a few reasons for it, that he has opportunity to share his beliefs with anybody who's going to listen. All across the spectrum, if, if somebody invites me over, then I'm going to actually have a conversation with you. And that's when we get to where we were talking about last week, Christian tolerance. To be able to say, hey, we can still get along. We can be friends, even though I completely disagree with your, your belief system and whatever it may be. He's all over the place. And so we could say that Jesus cares more about people than what they think about them than what I think about them in the sense of I, I, their, their political beliefs, right? they're, they're really right, they're really left, whatever it may be, that I should still be able to sit down and have a conversation with them. And I think that's what Jesus does. And then he talks about this idea of shame and honor. It was a very heavy shame and honor culture. 
And so in the parable, as he keeps going, as they're, as they're talking, he says, when he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable, right? And so, so when somebody asks Jesus a question and then he responds with a parable, you know that's bad. But this is just, he's just observing them, right? He's just like watching them. And then he's like, hey, I got a, I got a story real quick for you, right? So that, that's not good either, right? But here he is. Jesus goes to somebody's house who he knows he disagrees with uh, uh, spiritually, right? They, they believe something systemically very different from what they, how they're interpreting the Old Testament. And he says, I still want to go to your house today. I still want to be able to, to talk and open my mouth and explain things, even though you might hate my guts. And he says, when someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor for a person more distinguished than you might have been invited, all right? So in their, again, in their culture, they would sit in a big circle uh, most of the time. They'd have a table in the middle. And you got to think, when, when in that culture, if, if, they, if they, let's just say they, they slaughtered a, a lamb to eat for dinner, that if I sit in a place of honor, that the head guest, um, the, the person of honor who would sit at the right of the, the, the host, who would recline on the host, um, and lean on them, they'd kind of lean on their left arm and they would eat in the middle with their right hand, they would be given, you know, the filet mignon, right? But as, as you get further away from the host and from the honored guest, you then now you're getting the liver and you're getting the hooves, right? And the pickled hooves feet. I don't know if you do that with sheep, but maybe you do. I've never had a pickled hoof ever, and I don't plan on it. Um, all right, but that's how it worked as, as you got, as you, as you moved further away. And so what he's saying is if you just immediately, you, get, you come to someone's house, you go to a wedding feast and you sit next to the, the groom, all right, he said, you, you go and you go to this feast, do not take that place of honor for if a person more distinguished than you has been invited. And if so, the host who invited both of you will come to come and say to you, give this person your seat and then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. And then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This happened um, not that long ago. I was at a, uh, just a, a quick little uh, conference downtown and I had a friend of mine, I won't even name him, um, he actually put, some, there was a lot of seats, they were all taken, and, and Paul Stiver was sitting across from me, and my other friend uh, put his coat over Paul's coat, and, like, like he was going to be able to like, take his seat, and so he sat down, and the place filled up, and then Paul finally comes in, and, and here's this other guy sitting in his chair, and it was like, you're right, so in front of everybody, we're like, he, he was like, oh, do you want to sit here? And he's like, yeah, man, that's my seat, right? And then, so then my friend had to like, you know, grab his coat, and everyone's laughing at him, because he clearly tried to just cover this other guy's coat, and he was ashamed, it was kind of funny, and then he, then he sent me a picture, and I, I was going to show it, but I didn't, he sent me a picture, and he, go, and he quoted this passage, and then he, the, his view now of the conference was a pillar, right? There was a pole right in front of him, and he couldn't, he couldn't see anything, right? And he, was, and, he, and he was like, wow, I've never actually had this passage come, come to real life uh, for me before. And that's, that's what happened, right? But Jesus is saying this, that we don't need, don't exalt ourselves. And I think there's other practical applications that it's we, our culture, we don't necessarily do this. But just be humble. Be humble. And then that way, when something is happening, that we're not going to be humiliated if, if it's not the case. And so he tells this parable, and that's really all it is. He's just saying this, that we shouldn't be full of pride. But then he goes on, he talks about reciprocity. This is something that, um, that we do a lot as Minnesotans. 
in the sense of when I do something for you, uh, you should do it for me, right? Uh, in case in point, if I invite people over or if you've invited me over, and I know I'm guilty of this as well, that uh, I'll have someone over for dinner and then as they're walking out, they'll say, oh, hey, man, I'll have to have you over sometime, right? Is that not a thing? We always do that, right? We always just say, oh, I'll have you over sometime. And, and even though I may not actually ever have you over, uh, that's just the polite thing to say, right? That's just what we say as a culture. Oh, let me, let me repay you, right? Quid pro quo, tit for tat. That's just what our culture does. That you do that for me, then I'll, I'll do this for you. But Jesus has something to say about that. Um, I wasn't going to necessarily tell the story, but I think it, it fits now. Last night, I spent about three and a half hours um, helping my wife's uncle dig his snowmobile out of a lake. Um, and it was pretty miserable <laughs> and got soaked. Uh, couldn't feel my feet for like an hour because um, I fell in. It was it was because we're, you know, lifting up on the thing and then the ice breaks, you know, below us. And, and it was it was bad. It was it was terrible. But I remember the whole time in my mind, uh, I, I'm thinking, well, hey, man, I, I, I know someone's going to come help me if I, ever, if I ever get stuck, right? If I ever need help, I'm like, well, I know who to call, right? I even said that last night because as, we as we were getting ready to leave, I had a couple tools and things that, that they, they had with them in their truck. I'm like, hey, do you want it back? And I said, no. I was like, it's fine, but if I get stuck in the side of the road tonight, I know who to call, right? Because that just, that's, just how, that's just how we operate, right? I do this out of duty. You're my family member. And so therefore I have the tools. I'm equipped to do this. So therefore I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go help you. And Jesus has something, to, has something to say about that. He says this, then Jesus said to his host, think, think about how, I think that if, if somebody said this to you in our culture, like today, if, if, if somebody that you respected came in and said that even somebody you disrespected, Jesus does not hold back here. This is actually a really offensive statement to say to a host. But Jesus is making something uh, deeper. He's trying to prove a point here. He's now talking about salvation. He's talking about himself and the gospel. He says, when you give a luncheon, I don't think Jesus used the word luncheon. It's kind of a weird word, but maybe he did. When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they, they may invite you back and so you will be repaid. I mean, this is what we always do and Jesus is like, yeah, don't do that. Like specifically that. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And he's saying that this idea of reciprocity here, that this isn't just I'll do this and then and you do that, that, and there's different motivations for all of this when we look at it. I think there's four ways, I think, that why we do this, why we help people, why we're generous, why we invite people over. One is a sense of duty. Well, Jesus just said, I need to invite people over, so therefore I'm just going to do that, I guess. That's what I should do, right? Well, Uncle Jerry called. He needs my help. I guess I got to go. It was kind of fun. I, I mean, I laughed a lot last night. Um, at one point, he ripped, as we were towing it, he ripped the bumper or whatever you call it on the front of the snowmobile off, and he didn't realize it, so he just kept going. And uh, Angela's cousin Mike was just screaming, Stop! And he just... Kept, kept on going. He had no idea that he was just dragging a bumper behind him. Right? There's a sense of duty that, that we just do this because we should do it. We have to do it because Jesus asked me to do it. Whatever it may be, there's a sense of duty. Everyone is just self-interest, right? And I think that's where I was last night. 
oh yeah, I, I can help out, man, as long as you can help me out later on. Whatever that may be, that I'm, I'm doing this really for myself, even though I'm being nice to you because I want to be noticed. I'm going to invite my boss over, right, and give him the nicest food so that maybe he'll give me a raise or notice how good I am at something. The other one is just superiority. I, hey, I want to help you out because guess what? Hashtag blessed. I can help you out, right? I, God has blessed me so I can bless you. Right? This, just this sense of I'm, I'm, I'm better than you in, in ways. Um, and, and let me demonstrate how, how much better I am than you by, by helping you, right? The check comes around for the meal and maybe, you know, I, I've been there before. I've been arrogant and oh, no, no, I, I got this. No, no, really, really, I'm, I'm okay. My wife works really hard. I can pay for this. Um, this sense of superiority, right? Um, and, then, and then the last one, though, um, that we help, that we do this, and people help because they can't help it. Just like Jesus. You, you're telling me that there's somebody in front of me that I can heal, that I can help, even though you're not going to like me for doing this? This is who I am. This is why I'm here. I'm here to save those who are lost. I'm here to heal and to help. And so even though you're going to condemn me, you're going to judge me for this, I'm still going to do what's right. I'm still going to I'm still going to help. And so um, just this phrase I was thinking of, that we, we are generous, we're hospitable, not because it's something that we should do, but it's because it's who we are. That I can't not help but help. And that shouldn't be work. It shouldn't be reciprocity in this idea of, of, of helping out. It's not law. It shouldn't be law. Just, just be nice to people. Give generously to other people, period. And if I think that's what it is, then I think by me being generous or nice or hospitable, fill in the blank, then God will love me more. And therefore, I've just fallen short even again because I think I'm better than the person that I'm helping out with, whatever it may be that I'm relying on me doing these things and doing good works and being a nice guy and being hospitable because I think God will like me more and that's not how any of this works and that's what Jesus is trying to say, that there's no partiality at the foot of the cross of Jesus, that all are welcome to come. And Jesus already made me right with God and so now this is who I am as a follower of Jesus, that I care for people who don't know Jesus because I know what it's like to not have Jesus. And so we'd be generous, we're hospitable because we're a follower of Christ. And so we're generous, not because it's something that we should do, because it's just who we are, we can't help it. Because then and only then is it not a work. For example, uh, I'm a dad, and I love being a dad. And there are times where I would say, yeah, the, getting the boys ready even this morning, that, that we might, maybe, you, maybe you could say it's, it's work, you know, preparing meals, those kinds of things, but there's nothing deeper in my soul that I would rather be doing than caring for my kids. I can't not do that. I, I, I have to, it, because it's who I am. I'm a dad, I'm a father, and I love my kids. And so the things that you might say, oh man, is that, is that work? Am I doing this simply so that my kids will love me more? No, I'm doing this because I can't help but love them. And that's how it should be with everything in my life, in our lives, that we do this not because it's something that we ought to do as good Christians, or we should do, or that we have to do, but we do it because we want to, we get to, it's just who we are. And our example, obviously and clearly, is, is God. And it's not just Jesus. Jesus does this, but so does the Father. 
for God so loved the world that it's just something, he has to do this. Just talked about this in Systematic this last week. It was absolutely necessary for God to send his son to save us. If he wanted to redeem people, this is exactly what had to happen because it's, it's who God is. He is love and he loves all people. And so God loves us so much that he gave his only son. And that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That's our example. That we have our own loving father who cares for us, who lavishes his good works on us. And it doesn't matter if I do what's right or what's wrong. He says, I love you. And now that I'm with him and I'm in Christ, oh man, now I want to start killing sin. Now I actually do want to start doing what's right. Not because I have to, but because I actually want to. It's, it's who I am. It's who we are in Christ. So gospel application, which is going to sound kind of silly, is this, that we should treat others the way Jesus treated us. Hey, hey here's the gospel application. Be more like Jesus. Let's just, let's just try to be more like Jesus this week. But again, not, not out of sense of duty, or I have to, or, or law, but a sense of grace and mercy that it's just who I am. That he has written himself on my heart and my soul and I can't but help. And those moments where I do fail and I do sin, to ask for forgiveness. And he will forgive. And we learn our lessons and we move along and we continue to follow the example of our father and of our older brother Christ. Uh, we're going to go into a time of communion, uh, again like we do every week, but we're just going to uh, partake of the juice which represents the the blood of Christ that was shed for our sins, that, that absorbed the wrath. Um, just again, taught about this on, Sunday, or on, on Thursday, of he, that Jesus, and according to Romans chapter 3, is both just and a justifier. Right, that, he, that he says, I, I am actually just. I demand perfection. And I'm allowed to do that because I'm God. But I'm also the justifier. That I can also, I'm the only one who can save you from your sins. I'm the only one who can make it so that you are in a right standing with my perfect justice. And that's through the blood of Christ. And then we have the bread, which represents his body, which is broken for us. And as often as we take of these elements, we remember what Jesus did for us. That we, we partake of these elements and we say, yeah, yeah, there's, there's nothing I could have done. I could not do this on my own. Jesus had to do it for me. And so there's a, a gluten-free option uh, on your right if that's a dietary uh, need. Will you uh, pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for our time together this morning. I thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his, his life that he's not just a good moral example. And I think that there are times where we maybe read parables, that we, we study some stories like this, and we go, oh, yeah, that's, that's a good idea. We should be more like Jesus, period. But he's not just a moral example to us. He, he's not just uh, somebody that we can look up to. He is Savior. And that he needs to take over, in a sense, my life. And so that it's no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And that we can't help but do these things. It's not about being right morally and doing these things. It is just being who Christ called us and who the Father, who you called us to be. So God, now as we sing, as we worship, as we partake of these elements, will you receive the honor and glory that you are the only one who is worthy of. And it's in Jesus' most precious name that we pray. Amen.